Welcome to our nation's First Nations. This is Hearing Voices from NPR. I'm Barrett Golding, and we're in Native America. Here's Henry Reelberg. It is good that you have come to Crow Land, Elk River's edge. There I'm standing, looking for a feeling in the wind. Come down river looking around, feeling gotta roam. So I come down river looking around, reach into the sound of the water. Somewhere between the reflection and the stars is the feeling of life and love where you can hear the stars and the wind. Feeling twinkling and fluttering in cottonwood leaves. From yesterday, days gone by, and I have tomorrow from yesterday that I borrow. Listen to the skies, listen to the sound, something on the land, something going down. John Trudell. He and Henry Reelberg were recorded for the United States of Poetry Project. It ain't a poem. In 2001, NPR's Alex Chadwick headed out on horseback into the Clearwater National Forest, eastern Idaho, the Nez Perce Trail. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to have all the men standing in line this side and all the ladies on this side. The journey started with a ceremony on a mountain ridge that was high enough to look down on the wet clouds that were approaching. Try to make a straight line toward the east. A Nez Perce spiritual man, Horace Axtell, had said he'd make the rain fall. A joke, probably. Although the clouds gathered as though he directed them, when the Indians and the Forest Service people had lined up, he lifted a bell. The beauty of this place, to me, is sacred because our people had traveled this land back and forth from Buffalo country to back home. The rain began to drench the 40 people listening. More than a century had passed since so many Nez Perce had gathered on the ridge, the high point on the trail. The other peaks, where we would go by horse in the days ahead, were settled lower in the damp gray. The deepness to the heart is a memory that we try to recognize and try to understand the ways our people had worshipped. And these rocks that we see is a symbol to that. It's a great meaning to the ones who understand by the time Horace Axtell was finishing, the rain had subsided and the sky cleared a little. Then he took a piece of medicine root and pushed it into a space between two rocks in the cairn to leave something from his having come. This is uh, like the amen, the end of the ceremony. To us people, this is a symbol that you raise your hand to the Creator and thank Him for this day and the days to come. Thank you. Hey. 
Later in the day, in camp a few miles on, the rain started again, and it came down steadily all that night. The next day, we rode through more rain. Sometimes the wind would sling it sideways when we broke into a clearing. More often, the trail followed a sheltered, shadowy path into forest, although it was wet there, too. Dark green colors on black earth and the somber gray where rock lay exposed. <coughs> the Nez Perce and the government officers from the Clearwater National Forest mixed along in single file, their horses moving at a walk, mostly. The two groups have many years of poor relations between them, and they don't normally mingle. It was largely to mend this situation that a Forest Service archaeologist named Jeff Fee suggested a trail ride with the tribe could genuinely help explain some of what was in the forest. American Indians for thousands and thousands of years were managers of this land, and managed it very, very well. And the missing link now with the Forest Service was some of the ideas that Native Americans had on managing the land and, and looking at it as a very integral part of what they were, of what they are today. And many Forest Service people do naturally already have that uh, that closeness to the earth and the forest that they work in all the time. But uh, Native Americans can add another dimension of that and make it more whole. The rain came and went, but by now everything, every one, was wet enough to ignore it. There's the log. What's that song go? Put another log on the fire. <laughs> Fix me up some bacon and some beans. <laughs> that night, we dried what we could and sat watching a fire. Well, I think I wish, I think I wish we had more, more young people out here. You know, the Forest Service representatives wore regular clothes instead of their uniforms, but perhaps they and the Nez Perce were recalling how they had come to control the land here and the trail. There were awkward, silent moments. One of the Forest Service men said what was needed now was to know more about the Indians, how they thought, and what they believed. A Nez Perce, Cy Whitman, began to speak. He's a large man, distinguished, with a graying goatee and mustache, and two long, narrow braids to his waist. We believe in, in nature. We believe in what's provided to us. We believe in the same creator. We believe in our rest, and that's, that's it's difficult to make people understand that, and that's why we're so adamant about our treaty rights. We're so adamant about our culture. Uh, we're not prideful or vain, but we're very mindful of our position, and we're always you know, castigating ourselves, telling us that we need to get stronger, we need to improve ourselves, even in our humor. We needle and we push and we jab each other about that all the time. But there's a purpose for that, because it makes us remember who we are and why we're here. I remember when I was a little child, an old man who was part of the culture would come up and poke me really hard and just, why are you here? What are you doing here? So I'm just walking, I'm just going home. I said, why are you here in this earth? What are you doing here? What are you going to do for your, your mother and your father? What are you going to do for yourself and your people? If you don't listen to me, I'll cut your ear off one at a time. You know, you tell me these things. And so I, you know, I, I paid attention. I couldn't say anything back. He was teasing me, but at the same time he was serious. But, uh, you know, those things are passed on to you. And like I said yesterday, I hope that you remember these things. Remember why we are the way we are. When the conversation was done, Horace began to sing and his voice carried out across the night as no voice had there for a very long time.
The cook had breakfast ready early. The air was damp and cold. The rain had stopped, but a sodden, dull sky threatened to wring itself again like a worn dish towel. Horace Axtell pulled himself up into a saddle and prodded his horse toward where the lead rider, Harlan Updahl, waited. The two of them started off, and the others followed behind. Easy there. I'm ooh, just going to stop here and kind of wait for everybody to catch up just a ooh, little bit. Ooh, ooh, ooh. See, the old trail used to go down into the pass on the far side oh. here. Go right up that ridge over there. Yeah. And then swing out that, that ridge there where it dropped into Hungry Creek. In 1805, when Lewis and Clark arrived in the area, they were exhausted and in trouble. The Nez Perce helped them and showed them how to cross the mountains. And by the time the tribe realized the consequences, it was too late. There ensued the familiar, shameful story of tribes and the government, the story of promises and betrayal. At last, in 1877, Nez Perce elders decided that Chief Joseph would take all who wanted to go 750 men, women, and children, along with 1,500 horses, and run for freedom. They rode east into the mountains and up onto the Nez Perce Trail. For two months, there followed one of the most remarkable military campaigns in American history. Outnumbered, outarmed, outequipped, and outsupplied, Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce outmaneuvered and outfought the U.S. Army across the Rockies, down through Wyoming and what is now Yellowstone National Park, and up into northern Montana, until, 47 miles from the Canadian border and refuge from their pursuers, they were stopped at last and forced to surrender. In the afternoon of the third day, we climbed to a small plateau and found a half dozen rock cairns. They were expertly constructed, some of them eight feet tall or more, angling in a little from a broad base, the rocks not cut, but placed so that they made fairly smooth, narrow, four-sided pyramids that were flat on top. To become warriors, young men fasted and built these markers, wayakins they're called, each stone a pledge of character left for eternity where the great spirit could not fail to notice what the warrior promised. The six of them here were especially beautiful and at the same time eerie. Horace Axtell opened a beaded deerskin bag and took out a wooden and bone pipe. He invited a half dozen men, Forest Service and Nez Perce, to join him in a circle and they smoked. When the pipe had made one circuit, Horace started it on another. Yeah, we won't smoke this time. I'm going to pass the pipe around, and while you're holding the pipe, you speak whatever is in your heart. He began with one of the Indians, Jamie Pinkham. You think of the, the journey that our people had made through these mountains. They were a journey of sorrow, a journey of hope. And I guess I, I, I think even today, we're still on a a journey, and I, I think of the need for courage. We tell our young people that today they need to speak two languages, the language of, of technology, and also they need to speak the language of tradition, because that that language that keeps us strong and keeps the hopes alive. And from the Forest Service, Tom Googe. His district in the Clearwater Forest includes a lot of the trail. I've been up here, this is the fourth time, and and I knew something special about this site because I'd been in some of the Buddhist temples, the Emerald Buddha and Asia and whatever, and I've never been in the power that we have here. And so there's a certain awareness about this site, the, the small animals, the the hawk that came through, the ravens, and then down to the lichens and the flowers, and, and I thank all of you for being here. Then Horace spoke, and when he did, the air around him seemed to become still. I remember when I was 
a young boy, I seen the old fellas do this, the old men. Every one of them had long hair and braids, and they sat around the drum. And they talked, and they, they smoked. And as I grew up, when I was a little boy, I, I sweat in the sweat house with a, with a warrior who fought in the Nespers War. He told me many stories, many things, things that our people had done before is a teaching to what we should do. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That evening, we came to a wide valley floor, a place called Wheatus Meadows. The sun had come out in the late afternoon. It was dry. The outfitter had scattered dozens of his white canvas tents out in a line that followed the winding course of a large stream. They looked like small teepees. There was a fire again. Some members of the tribe exchanged gifts with people from the Forest Service. A tribal spokesman thanked the Forest Service for inviting them and said the tribe wanted to discuss helping to manage the trail. Privately, the man in charge of the Clearwater National Forest, Fred Treby, acknowledged there really was nothing tangible to show for having spent three days with the Nez Perce, riding over and walking around and talking about their remote ancestral trail but he seemed very sure that something was achieved. The amount of openness in, in the conversation that, that we've experienced this week, we've never experienced that before. I, I think the probably the key ingredient, though, is patience. So that, that through time now, we can manage the things that are important to the Nez Perce people and, and things that are important to the population as a whole. There's a whole lot of people that like to travel that. The history that will be marked in the dedication necessarily involves a great deal of bitterness and sorrow. Probably not since the time of Chief Joseph have three dozen Nez Perce ridden the trail together as on this journey. The young men do not build Wayakins anymore. As Lewis and Clark used this route to open the West at the beginning of the last century, so did the Nez Perce lose their freedom and way of life on it as the century drew toward its close. Indeed, it could be said that all Indians did. The Nez Perce War was the last official conflict between any tribe and the government. Cy Whitman, Horace Axtell's nephew, seemed pleased that the ride had taken place and to have been a part of it but he remained skeptical that any outsider would truly respect the Nez Perce view of things. In my lifetime, I've seen continued destruction of sacred sites and of valuable sites all over, all over this land, you know, this Nez Perce homeland. And I don't... Uh, it just has made me more callous as a traditionalist that I would rather see it than everything left to the way it is. Let the people have been through there, let their spirits rest. Don't disturb it. But that's that kind of philosophy is out the window nowadays. These young ladies that were riding with me, you know, they've expressed a lot of bitterness and anger. Because they're frustrated because people will not leave things alone. You know, man's has always got to tamper with everything that's been given you. They take things for granted. They destroy. Everything they touched destroyed, including us. We're dying people. That night it began to rain again, and then sometime after midnight there came a single great stroke of lightning. And then a stupendous burst of thunder began to roll down from the eastern ridge and tremble in the valley floor and ascend to the other side and fall back upon itself in echo and echo and echo. Chief Joseph's Indian name was Thunder Coming from the Mountain, 
and in the morning one of the men said in the night his spirit had come to observe what was done but whether there was truth in this or in the old man's power to summon rain I do not know this is Alex Chapman The Nez Perce Trail, a rediscovery, was narrated by Alex Chadwick. The producer was Carolyn Jensen Chadwick. The engineer, Soraya Muhammad. The editor, Chris Joyce. Lali singing on Red Cloud's Indigenous Angel. Coming up, we paddle with the canoe nations of the Northwest. That's in a minute on Hearing Voices. Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people, and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. From NPR, this is HearingVoices.com. You are Hearing Voices. John Trudell is an actor, a poet, a Santi Sioux, and a musician. From his 2002 album, Bone Days, this is Crazy Horse. Crazy horse, we hear what you say. One earth, one mother. One does not sell the earth, the people walk upon. We are the land. How do we sell our mother? How do we sell the star? How do we sell the air? Crazy horse, we hear what you say. Too many people standing their ground, standing the wrong ground. Predator's face, he possessed a race. Possession, a war that doesn't end. Children of God feed on children of earth. Days people don't care for people. These days are the hardest 
Material fields. Material harvest. Decoration on chain that binds. Mirrors gold. The people lose their minds. Crazy horse, we hear what you say. One earth, one mother. One does not sell the earth. The people walk upon. We are the land. Day is now and then. Dream smokes touch the clouds. Funny day when death didn't die. Real world time tricks shadows lie. Red, white, perception, deception. Predator tries civilizing us, but the tribes will not go. Without return, genetic light from the other side, a song from the heart, our hearts to give. The wild days, the glory days, live. Crazy horse, we hear what you say. One earth, one mother. One does not sell the earth. The people walk upon. We are the land. How do we sell our mother? How do we sell the stars? How do we sell the air? Crazy horse, we hear what you say. Crazy horse, we hear what you say. We are the seventh generation. We are the seventh generation. Anchorage. This city is made of stone, of blood and fish. There are Chugach Mountains to the east, and whale and seal to the west. It hasn't always been this way, because glaciers, who are ice ghosts, create oceans, carve earth, and shape this city here by the sound. They swim backwards in time. Once. A storm of boiling earth cracked open the streets, threw open the town. It's quiet now, but underneath the concrete is the cooking earth, and above that, air, which is another ocean where spirits we can't see are dancing, joking, getting full on roasted caribou, and the praying goes on, extends out. Nora and I go walking down Fourth Avenue and know it is all happening. On a park bench, we see someone's Athabascan grandmother, folded up, smelling like two hundred years of blood and piss. Her eyes closed against some unimagined darkness, where she is buried in an ache in which nothing makes sense. We keep on breathing, walking. But softer now, the clouds whirling in the air above us, 
What can we say that would make us understand better than we do already? Except to speak of her home and claim her as our own history and know that our dreams don't end here, two blocks away from the ocean, where our hearts still batter away at the muddy shore. And I think of the Sixth Avenue jail of mostly native and black men, where Henry told about being shot at eight times outside a liquor store in L.A. But when the car sped away, he was surprised he was alive. No bullet hose, man, and eight cartridges strewn on the sidewalk all around him. Everyone laughed at the impossibility of it, but also the truth. Because who would believe the fantastic and terrible story of all our survival? Those who were never meant to survive. This is Hearing Voices. That was Joy Harjo from her 2006 collection, She Had Some Horses. Every year, the canoe nations of the Northwest take a boat trip down the Pacific coast. In 2005, producer Jesse Boggs paddled with them on their tribal journey. Who's that in that canoe there? For the last 17 years, people have been building more canoes and traveling in these canoes to different ceremonies or celebrations through the the pride and the, the honor that all these pullers bring to that nation different things start happening besides just going out and pulling and singing your songs your the language starts coming back which it has the unity comes back as a whole family songs that are owned by certain families start coming out. My husband's a, a, a skipper of our canoe. Our canoe is the Spirit of Raven. We've been on the water for 13 years. It's been wonderful. Then the first start off, there was seven canoes from Washington State went north to Bella Bella, 1993. When I came back, and my first vision I had was I looked all four directions, and all I could see was clouds, and they looked like the, like the prows of our canoes here. And, and now the vision has come true. When these canoes come in, there's a hundred of them. It's wonderful. Somewhere along the line, I want to record about 10 songs. That's for his second CD. Our crew, representing the four tribes of King Kim Inland. Uh, Vancouver Island, north end of Vancouver Island, but on the mainland. Tribal Journeys is a, a commitment by all of the canoe nations. Uh, to travel with our ancestors. And it uh, allows us to uh, witness the resurgence of the sacred canoes. It comes with teachings to uh, mold the spirit of our young people, mold the spirit of the canoe, and in doing that, you mold the spirit of the community.
really two different ways of making boats on the Pacific coast. There's places where the trees are so huge, you have such an abundance of wood that you build a boat by removing wood. I mean, your problem is there's too much wood, and you remove wood until just the boat is left, and that's a dugout canoe. And then when you get to the northern islands where there are zero trees, then you work the other way by piecing together little pieces of wood until you have the framework of a boat. But what you did have an abundance of was animal skins, and lots and lots of sea mammals. So you have sort of a minimum of wood covered with a, a skin membrane. That turned out to work very well. So St. Paul is a, is an island that has no trees, not a single tree. tree. What? There's three of them. There's three trees. At Are the there three Coast trees at the Coast Guard oh, okay, station? Two okay. feet tall. Okay. They're about only two, three feet high, though. <laughs> okay, so that's the Coast Guard National Forest, I guess. But uh, anyway, but there are no trees. It's a, it's a volcanic island, but there's just huge amounts because of being out in the middle of the sea. There's huge amounts of driftwood from everywhere else. And so we go out hunting. We take the, the patterns of the shapes that we're looking for, and we just uh, go shopping for the different, yep, different that's parts. Our, that's our depot. <laughs> There's a three-man kayak, we call it uh, Ulakin. That's our uh, native tongue, Unanga, Aleut. And uh, it is made of driftwood that is from our, our island, all from our island. Uh, of course, it isn't a seal or sea lion, it is an island. It is about 22 feet long and 2 feet wide. That was what my ancestors traveled in. I remember uh, hearing stories of uh, my ancestors traveling. Well, they traveled along the Lucian chain and then across the Bering Sea to the Kribal Islands, where I'm from, and that's 200 miles in open water. I'm sure the seas would be 35, 40 feet. So, but <laughs> I mean, and that's, you know, six or seven yesterday, they gave me the, gave me the willies a little bit there, so to speak. This place called um, Foul Weather Bluff, and it was pretty foul weather, right? The water, was, it was pretty rough. It was like six or seven foot waves in there, and they were hitting us from every direction. Two opposing currents were just simply smashing into each other head on. And uh, the currents up in the, uh, up in the Puget Sound move like rivers, like massive rivers. But this, at this one point, we were in it before we knew it. Uh, we, were, we, were, we were actually, you know, hollering and saying, yeah, you know. But uh, at one point, you know, when we, were, when we were, like, catching the waves, taking us in, our bow, you know, and how it has that flare on the top, it actually, that it really worked really well, and it kept the bow out of the water. And that's, that's what that design is for, you know, to keep the bow out. But we were all hollering, yelling, and just being happy, and, you know, we weren't too worried, and it worked out just fine. It just so awesome. That's the happy song. <laughs> yeah. Happy days are here. I would have loved to have been living in that time frame where where I can really experience the the wholeness of this society my ancestors lived in. They lived in peace. They had song and dance. They traveled from village to village. Traded. Had gatherings, potlucks, they call them. Food, shared food, stories. You know, stories of their lives. Stories of their days. this journey is and what I've seen happening is that we're getting better we're healing ourselves 
we're traveling on the water, we're getting healthy, alcohol and drugs are slowly but surely becoming less. Uh, people are eating better because they're eating their native foods again instead of stopping at McDonald's every five minutes. You know, it's, it's just the most amazing thing. It's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to be on the water. Al Charles Jr. I'm from the Lower Elwha Clown Tribe. My Indian names are Winanawa, that's from Bella Bella, BC. From Lower Elwha, where I live, is Watanakin. And from my mother's family in Lummi and Squamish, BC, it is Hiachin. My name is Ricky Jacobs. Uh, my name is uh, Frank Nelson, and I come from um, Kingcom Inlet in Canada. I'm George Dyson, and I'm, I'm a historian of technology, and one of the technologies I devoted a large amount of my, part of my life to was the history of kayaks and kayaking. My name is Mark Daniels. Um, yeah, skin boat builder is easy to say. Okay. Yeah, we won't throw the all words at you, but uh, yeah, skin boat builder. My name is Elidore Eddie Berkulyev, Jr. I'm from St. Paul Island, of the Perlov Islands in Alaska. My name is Eric Gletyanov, and I'm from St. Paul Island, Alaska. Uh, this is Flory Lekanoff from St. George Island. Tribal Journey was produced by Jesse Boggs. You are hearing voices, specifically the voices of Kisakola and the Wild Band of Indians.
to our elders who teach us of our creation and our past so we may preserve Mother Earth for ancestors yet to come. We are the land. This is dedicated to our relatives before us thousands of years ago and to the 150 million who were exterminated across the Western Hemisphere in the first 400 years' time, starting in 1492. To those who have kept their homelands and to the nations extinct due to mass slaughter, slavery, deportation, and disease unknown to them and to the ones who are subjected to the same treatment today, to the ones who survived the relocations and the ones who died along the way. To those who carried on traditions and lived strong among their people. To those who left their communities by force or by choice and for generations no longer know who they are. To those who search and never find. To those that turn away the so-called non-accepted. To those that bring us together and to those living outside keeping touch, the voice for many. To those that make it back to live and fight the struggles of their people. To those that give up and those who do not care. To those who abuse themselves and others and those who revive again. To those who are physically, mentally, or spiritually incapable by accident or by birth. To those who seek strength in our spirituality and ways of life and those who exploit it, even our own. To those who fall for the lies and join the dividing lines that keep us fighting amongst each other. To the outsiders who step in, good or bad, and those of us who don't know better. To the leaders and prisoners of war, politics, crime, race, and religion, innocent or guilty. To the young, the old, the living, and the dead. To our brothers and sisters and all living things across Mother Earth. And her beauty we've destroyed and denied the honor that the Creator has given each individual. The truth that lies in our hearts, all my relations. Yulali with All My Relations. That and the Kisakola song are off Honor, a benefit for the Honor the Earth campaign. I'm Barrett Golding, digitally encoded at Peak Recording in Bozeman, Montana. There's links to everything you heard this hour at hearingvoices.com. Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people, and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. Our producers are Scott Carrier, Ann Hepperman, Larry Massett, and Kara Oler. Our intern is Max Darham. Mix engineer is Robin Wise of soundimagery.com. Executive producer is Barrett Golding. From NPR, National Public Radio, this is HearingVoices.com.